It's great to be with you. Uh, this, I, this is my second visit. Not, I've not spoken here on a Sunday morning before. Uh, I think I came to a, uh, an encounter night on a Wednesday evening, which was great just to be with you. Um, but my name's Ian, and I'm really looking forward to sharing with you from the Scriptures this morning, uh, because I believe, that, um, I believe that Jesus changes lives. I believe that an encounter with Jesus can change everything for anyone who's willing to put themselves out there. I do. I think Jesus is incredible. He's incredibly kind. He's incredibly patient. He's incredibly powerful. But he's incredibly good. And some of you maybe this morning need to hear that Jesus is indeed good. That he's kind to you. He's for you. He's not against you. But an encounter with Jesus will change your life radically. Um, I don't know whether you've ever been surprised by something uh, unexpected, whether in a positive way or a negative way. If you have, just give me a little wave. Excellent. I would imagine most people have, whether it was at Christmas time, you know, when you were expecting a BMX, and then maybe you didn't get the BMX, but you got a little Pendleton bike instead. Or whether it was, um, for instance, uh, one of the most surprising things that I've encountered was on on a trip to Kenya last year. And... uh, I was traveling with the former missions director, who is a great, great guy to travel with. He, he sets off through the concourses at 90 miles an hour, so if you can keep up with him, you're doing really well. Anyway, Paul was in front of me, as I've just described. And he's, uh, he's at the gate, and he's waiting to go through the gate into, uh, to board the plane, and he's, he's a few people ahead of me. And so he says, uh, as he goes through, he gives me a little wave, and he goes, I, I, I've been upgraded. Nice little surprise for Paul, I thought. I'm really pleased for you, Paul. Uh, you enjoy that, that bed in business class. You enjoy that, Paul. I'm thinking, that's, that's not great. So I get to the gate, and they say, Mr. Hesketh, there's a problem with your ticket. We, we, we are actually upgrading you. I know. A nice surprise. Now, for some of you, business class is normal. For me, it isn't. It was an absolute joy being able to lie out on that flight back from Kenya to wake up refreshed. Now, I think the saying is true. Once you've turned that way, you don't want to turn the other way. Let me tell you, I will be flying economy from now on. But let me just say that was a surprise, a pleasant surprise that, that actually was, was, was really nice for that moment. But we want to talk about something, uh, a surprise and a, an encounter that was something so much more significant for one man. If you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 3, because this man received a surprise that he wasn't expecting. He received something that he, that, that morning, it wasn't in his mind. So let's read it. And then there are five things that I want to draw out from this uh, passage this morning. But before we read it, should we take a pause? Claudette, you mentioned something about rest. We all need a rest every now and again. Um, I think we need it a little bit more than now and again. Because I think it's when we still our soul and still our lives, we get to hear the whisper of Jesus. And my feeling is that it doesn't take a profit to say that some of you live lives at 100 miles an hour and you grab at little moments here and there and you wonder why you feel like you're limping along. Because it's not your life 
and your way of life is not sustainable. doesn't mean to say you don't work hard. doesn't mean to say you don't need to pay the bills. Absolutely you do. But I think as God's people, we're called to live at a different rhythm. I think we're called to shape culture, not be influenced by it. I think we're called to be a people who are distinct, not simply relevant. And the distinctness comes from being with Jesus. I, 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 I absolutely and fundamentally believe that. That the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we will become like him. Because you can't spend time with Jesus and not be influenced by him. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for a time of prayer at three in the afternoon. At that verse, we will pause for a time of prayer. And in the stillness of your heart, for the next 20 seconds, 30 seconds, what is your desire this morning? This may be a regular habit, regular time every week. What's your desire this morning? Father, hear the heart cry of your people this morning in your precious name. Amen. So we'll continue from verse 2. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him by the hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk and entered the temple with them, walking leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was, one, uh, was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were all filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. Familiar passage, no doubt, to many of you. You've maybe read that many times. Maybe you've heard many sermons uh, on, this, on this topic. But there's five things that strike me as the, in, in this encounter with the, with the lame man who had been placed there, uh, we learn, for about 40, 40 years. Can you imagine what that must have been like for him? From birth, lame, being placed at the gate called beautiful, carried into position, relying upon others, I wonder what it was like for Peter and John. You know, they're in Jerusalem and they're going to the temple. How many times had they done that? How many times had they gone to the temple at three o'clock in the afternoon? How many times had they passed this gentleman? We don't know, but I would assume that they'd passed him a number of times because he's been, this guy had been placed at this, this gate every single day in order to beg for money. 
So there's something about the same time, same place. The thing is, we go about our lives, and, and we each week we will go to the same at the same time to the same place. Tomorrow morning, you, if you're in, in work tomorrow, you're going to go to the same place at the same time, and you're going to meet the same people. You're going to pass them by. How many times have you just walked past somebody in your office or your workplace or wherever it is that you're going to be, and you it, they, they're just there? Can you imagine what it must have been like for this gentleman having been placed at the gate day by day, relying upon the handouts of others? Now, I, I, I kind of imagine that actually where he was positioned, would have been, he would have been you know, relatively okay in terms of donations. People going into the temple would have felt some, some kind of compassion and generosity, and, and they would have just maybe put the money aside. You know, maybe like you and I do, oh yeah, let's give them a couple of quid, and then we'll carry on and walk on past by. But something had happened with Peter and John, that they could no longer just walk past this man. They'd had an encounter with Jesus. Now, they'd spent three years with Jesus. They'd walked with Jesus. They knew Jesus. They'd had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus that changed everything for them, though. Peter didn't get it up until the moment when he saw the resurrected Christ. And it was like all became clear. And then the moment of encounter at Pentecost when they were filled with the Spirit changed everything for them. They began to proclaim the word boldly. A moment of encounter changes everything. You might be here this morning, same time, same place, but you need an encounter with Jesus this morning that will change your perspective and change your life. Are you ready and are you willing? Because it will not be because of the words that I say. It will not be because I preach the best sermon that I've ever preached and I don't know whether that will happen or not and I don't really care. What I care about is that we encounter Jesus this morning. That we go out of this place having our hearts touched and changed by him. Same time, same place. Why? Because the, when we, our hearts are touched, it will change the way we see people. It will change the way we look at those familiar people in our offices, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, wherever it is. It will change how we view them. The Greek uh, word for beautiful means, um, has, has found its root in in the word opportunity. This was an opportunity, a gate of opportunity for Peter and John, for the gentleman that was placed before them. It was also the gate in which lame and the disabled couldn't go past. It was, it was, it was a gate where it was a barrier to women. This was the, the entrance to the, into the temple. Only certain people could go, go through it. Can you imagine what it must have been like looking on, thinking, if only I could go in? Second point in verse 4 is that this perspective changed. Post-Pentecost, it changed everything for them. They began to see people in different ways. They began to see this man in a different way. And so when... When they come past him, and just imagine looking at him. What was that like? Did they stand towering over him in a position of power and authority? Or did they get down on a level and look into his eye? Something about the humanity of this man 
wasn't just an object laid at the side. He was a human being. Somebody that Jesus loved and adored and had given his life for. And Peter and John, having been touched by Jesus, they, they, they know that they could do something for this man. They, they don't have silver and gold. They don't have possessions to give him. But they, what they do have is they have had an encounter with Jesus that's going to change, change their life and his. Look at us, they say. I, again, this man, I, I find a great deal of empathy with this man. Why, why, what, was, what was going on with him? Sat at this gate, just you know, positioned there, head down, expecting just the, 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 the change to come. What was he carrying? Shame? What was he carrying? What was it, why, was he, why was he just looking down? What was going on in his heart and life? But they said to him, Look at us, looking into his eyes. And in that moment, there's a connection. In that moment, there's a, there's a shared humanity, a sense of, of, identi- of, of connection. It's not just an object. Verse four and, uh, 5 and 6, I think, are really interesting for us. Because the, the encounter with, with this man, the encounter with Jesus changed Peter and John. The encounter with, with, uh, with Peter and, and John, sorry, is going to change this man's life. See, he had expected a handout. His expectation was that day that he would just continue to receive handouts that would keep him in the position that he'd known for 40 years. Just give me some more money. Let's keep paying the bills. Let's keep doing the thing. And we'll get through today. That was his expectation. His expectation that nothing was going to change that day. But for Peter and John, uh, their expectations had been heightened. They knew the power of the resurrected Christ at work in them and through them. And so they say to him, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk Imagine that moment. Imagine the courage, the boldness that that requires. Man who'd been there for 40 years and they're saying, get up and walk. Why? They've encountered Jesus. The one who reigns over all things and holds all things together. The one who's able to calm the sea, to cast out demons, to heal the sick. They had this expectation that in, because of their encounter with Jesus, Jesus would do that work in and through them. Get up and walk, they say. I love what happens in, in, in the next verses. But I want to say this, this. That why is it that Peter and John could say to him, get up and walk? What was it about? Yes, it was the encounter. But they didn't just know some facts about Jesus. It's not that they'd just been in school and learned some information about who Jesus was. I thought, oh, that'll do. I know some information about Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. If if that had been the case, they would have fallen flat on their face. And there would have no power at all. You see, because knowing about Jesus isn't the same as knowing him. You can know lots of facts about Jesus. You can, you can be the greatest scholar in the world, but not know him. 
Because our relationship with Jesus isn't simply based upon the facts that we know. And I think in the Western church, we've relied upon facts for far too long. We've thought that if we preach a good sermon and give people some information, we're going to help them to know Jesus. We'll help them to know about him. But not know him. You see, because knowing Jesus is something very different. Knowing Jesus comes out of a, of a life and a posture that is, is surrendered to him. That is allowing him to change us on the innermost parts. That is allowing our character to be shaped in such ways that reflect Jesus more than it does our workplaces. That changes our attitudes. When gentleness and kindness are not often things that are associated with some of the, di- the areas of work that you encounter, you, you're employed in. It's often seen as weakness to be kind and to be gentle. But in Jesus, they're the marks of maturity. They're the marks of encountering Jesus. They're the marks of being with him because out of the innermost parts, those things flow. So knowing about Jesus isn't the same as knowing him. And so we have to evaluate our life based upon, are we becoming more Christ-like in my responses and attitudes towards others? Am I seeing people more like the way that Jesus sees people? Is my my compassion increasing? Is my love for others increasing? Is my, my patience increasing? Is my joy increasing? They're the things that I think are markers of a life that's spent with Jesus. In fact... If we go on to chapter 4, we'll see that this, this encounter, this, this, this healing caused real problems for Peter and John. They were before the council and they were saying, like, we, can you stop this? And they say, no, but actually what the council recognizes is that they were uneducated, untrained men. But they'd been with Jesus. They'd been with Jesus. I, I believe it or not, I have a theology degree. But that means nothing in the economy of the kingdom. It means nothing for a life of being with Jesus. Jesus wants us to know him and be with him. So what does that look like for your life? What does that look like? I, don't, I don't know what your life looks like. This is my first time here and I can, I can preach with ignorance if you like. Because I don't know what your life looks like. So I can give you all kinds of things about what it looks like for me to spend time with Jesus, but it might not be helpful for you because I don't know the context of your life, I don't know the rhythm of your life, but what I am going to ask you is that this afternoon, when you get a bit of downtime, a bit of rest on this, this Sabbath day, evaluate your life. Do you, do you know Jesus? Are you, are you content with where you're at with your, in your relationship with Jesus? Or is he calling you to a deeper place? Is he calling you to a place of encounter? A place where your life is changed? And so they do this. They, out of that sense of walking with Jesus, they say, get up and walk. Love what happens next. Because in, in antiquity, what, what, actually the, um, what, what was often thought is weak ankles, weak knees, weak legs, was, was a, they would equate with a weak character. Okay? So that was, see that physical defect, they go, oh man, he's a, he's a man of weak characters, therefore, you know, not, not great, not a great person. This changes everything. Because what happens when, 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 they get, when he gets up and they've got a hold of him, 
Strength comes to his ankles and strength comes to his knees. See, mission, this is my fourth point, mission in Jesus' name will transform a whole life, not just some of a life. It's Jesus' name. It's Jesus who changes. And so he, they say that he's leaping and dancing and praising God. What is that if it's not joy? What is that if it's not a sense of relief, a sense of, whoa, I'm at, I, for 40 years I have not been able to do this. I am leaping and I'm praising. And they lead him into the temple, a place where he'd been banished from, he's now able to enter. So what is it that's making you limp? What is it that's stopping you entering the temple? Jesus is the better temple, by the way. Bricks and mortar doesn't really matter. Jesus is the better temple. And when, we, when, we, when we're led into his presence, it will change everything. We'll be able to go in, not because of our goodness, but because of the work of Christ upon the cross, who forgives us, sets us free, heals us, fixes us, enables us to enter the most holy place. Because of Jesus. It will transform everything. And so the strength to his ankles indicate, would indicate to the, the watching world a renewed character. I can't get away from the joy that this man would have experienced. Maybe some of you are familiar with it. Not in the, maybe in the physical sense, but the spiritual in the spiritual realm, in the innermost part of you, you know that when you met Jesus, it, it, joy, joy unending, joy unbounding. I think one of the greatest marks of Christian maturity is joy. Above everything else, love, yes, absolutely. But joy. John 15, Jesus writes, uh, Jesus says, um, abide, in, abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. He goes on to say that I've told you these things. It's, it talks about obedience, actually, the abiding and working with Jesus is about obedience to him. So we can't, we can't proclaim to be followers of Jesus and not walk in his ways. Actually, the two go hand in hand. It's not all, all, all you know, singing our songs and praise on Sundays. It's the hand in hand, walking out, working out obedience to Jesus in the everyday because of our character being transformed. And then he goes on to say in John 15, I have told you these things that my joy may be in you and your joy may be... Complete. And so encounter with Jesus, I think, leads to a joy in the innermost parts. Now, chaos could be surrounding you. Uh, Listen, life happens, doesn't it? Walking with Jesus doesn't mean to say that we are immune from the stuff of life. You and I know it all too well. Life happens to us and around us. But what does it look like for us to be a people who know Jesus, have been encountered with Jesus, and even in the midst of our circumstances, can radiate joy? Because it isn't simply dependent upon the circumstances that are happening to us. It's based upon we know Jesus. And he is our strength even in the midst of challenging times. That he is our joy because our life is secure in him. Why is it that Peter and John could say to the leaders, we're not going to do what you say. 
Because we can't proclaim any other message. We don't uh, effectively say, we don't care if you lock us up. We don't care if you kill us. Because we, we know the truth. We know this Jesus. And he's changed everything. So whether we live or die, we're at peace with him and know him and secure in him. And so therefore, we're going to carry on doing what we do. Because an encounter with Jesus changes everything. So you want to know the most effective mission strategy? It's to transform life. It isn't five-year, 10-year, 15-year plans of strategic outworkings. I'm all for those because they're really helpful in guiding us and shaping us. But if we put all our eggs on the strategic plan, that's about us doing all that we can do. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Nothing of eternal value, nothing of eternal worth, nothing. The most effective mission strategy is your life and my life being changed by Jesus day by day, hour by hour, second by second. It's that moment of being with Jesus so that everything about us is transformed. That we are a distinct people, not distinct individuals. We are a distinct people. We are a called out people of God. We live lives so segregated and so individualized that we don't allow one another to shape one another. How do we deal with the stuff of life together so that we might pursue God together? So that our lives collectively might radiate something of the distinct power in the presence of Jesus. Because it isn't just about you and Jesus. It's about us and Jesus. It's about our lives collectively being shaped to radiate the glory and the power of God. I would suggest that any mission that does not lead to the the, 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 the praise of his name is simply good works. Good works are not bad, but it's not mission. The mission of God is to see his glory, his name, his kingdom, his authority on earth as it is in heaven. And he demonstrates that through his people in every place, everywhere, Every day as we surrender to him.